And I'm speaking to Brandon Wolf, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-W-O-L-F. And Brandon, uh, what brings you to Reno, Nevada today? Well, I'm talking to people about big structural change and the fight to make Elizabeth Warren the next president of the United States. And uh, with that being said, since uh, you gave a pretty, I mean, you gave a very personal, very moving story about your story, mm. um, you know, tell me about that real quick. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, life was pretty ordinary for me before June of 2016, and then I did what I always did with right. my best friends, which was go to Pulse nightclub, and that changed everything for me. Um, it meant I got more involved. It meant I used my voice. Um, and I think that's what drew me to the senator, and that's a little bit of why I'm here. Um, senator Elizabeth Warren has a similar story, right? She didn't mean to be a politician. It wasn't her dream to be president of the United States. She wanted to be a teacher, and she was a damn good special ed teacher and the best in her field in terms of bankruptcy law. And then a little thing happened, which is she discovered why people were going broke. And she saw that it was predatory lenders. She saw that people were capitalizing on other people's pain. And she felt obligated. She felt moved to jump in the fight with everybody else. So I feel like Elizabeth Warren and I have similar stories. I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits in that way. Um, and that's what's drawn me to her campaign. That's what's drawn me to Nevada to talk to people about why they need to get involved with her campaign as well. And, um, you know, to this room that you, you know, talked about your story in, in great detail about, you know, being in the bathroom, you know, if... I've never been in a shooting. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Yeah, many uh, people haven't. Um, what's one, and I don't mean to make you relive a traumatic memory here, but what's one element of that that you want to convey to someone to understand uh, why this is such an awful thing? I think it's really important to remember that the pain and trauma and suffering that comes from gun violence, and specifically from a mass casualty event like that, doesn't go away when people are physically better doesn't go away when those who are on crutches can walk again. It doesn't go away when those who, you know, who are in a wheelchair learn how to use their legs again. Uh, those things are not real healing. This is scars that my community, that, that me, that I will carry for the rest of my life. Um, it's really important for people to remember. I know that, you know, Nevada and specifically Las Vegas has seen this kind of horrific act before. It's important to remember that people who were impacted by that shooting and people who've been impacted by gun violence around the country need our support day in and day out. They need access to mental health resources. They need strong support systems with their friends and their family. Um, and they also need politicians. They need elected officials in positions of power that are going to do right by their values, do right by their lived experiences, and not just the lobbyists in Washington, D.C. who want to make a quick buck. And I'm glad you referenced our unfortunate uh, connection in terms of your connection yeah. and the fact that you know we unfortunately now hold the distinction of the worst mass casualty event in American That's history right. in Las Vegas. Yeah. 11 minutes of terror. Um, and, and that being said, you know, in response, we passed, you know, we had the, you know, the red, the red flag laws, laws finally had the political yeah. pressure effect of becoming law yeah. as of the last session. From your standpoint, do you think things like that, red flag laws and, and, and whatnot, are enough? Well, it's not just from my standpoint. It's looking at what is the, what does the data tell us, right? What do the facts tell us? Um, what we know is that states that pass comprehensive gun safety legislation that keeps firearms out of the hands of those who are at a high propensity for violence see a reduction in homicides of 35%. There are several studies that have confirmed that. So it's not about what I believe or what those in the gun violence prevention movement believe. It's about what do we know. 
And what we know is that when we keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people, less people die. And so that has been my mantra, that has been my mission over the last three and a half and four years, is to bring that message to the country. America believes that, right? There is a significant platform of gun safety legislation across the country that is popular. Background checks, red flag laws, assault weapons bans, um, all of those things are widely popular. The only thing standing in our way today are lobbyists and gun manufacturers in Washington, D.C. that want to tie our legislators' hands. So I think we have a real opportunity in 2020 to set a new tone at the top of the ticket, to set a new tone in Washington, D.C., and then hopefully down the ballot to make some change that will usher in new, new legislation across the country. And I'm going to ask you kind of the same similar line of questioning to those who you've talked to a lot who kind of may share the exact opposite position with yeah. you, who believe that, you know, America's problem is that we don't need less guns, we need more guns, mm. and that, you know, they feel like, you know, campaigns like this take away people's rights and ownerships, ownership issues, and whatnot. Yeah. If you were to talk to a gun owner, it's a you know, pretty pro-Second Amendment, what would you say to them? Yeah. Well, I did that. So, at the end of October, I filmed uh, an episode of the Today Show, and the topic of conversation was gun safety. And the idea of this segment was we're going to put two people who live on opposite sides of an issue together, and they're just going to debate it out. They're just going to talk about policy. They're going to talk about facts. They're going to talk about their lived experiences. And we did. Um, she and I, for two and a half hours, talked about gun safety legislation. Of course, that was boiled down into a 10-minute interview for TV. But um, at the end of the day, what I found remarkable about our conversation was two things. First of all, facts matter, Right. More guns in America equals more gun deaths. If it were true that more guns in the hands of Americans made us safer, then America would be the safest place on earth because we have more guns per capita than any other country on the face of the earth. So we already know that that's not true. And then we get to the part about how do you talk to people who disagree with you, right? How do you talk to people who maybe don't see it in the same way that you do? You meet them where they are. The woman that I talked to, her name is Rhonda. Um, she had passed a background check to get her firearms. And I simply asked her, if you passed a background check to get your firearms, wouldn't you want to know that your neighbor passed a background check to get their firearms too? And Rhonda went through significant firearm safety training. In fact, she teaches firearms safety training. And I said, so Rhonda, you must believe as someone who teaches firearm safety training that people who own and operate firearms should have some training some safety training to own and operate that firearm. I think that we can do both things. I think that we make it clear that facts matter. And I also think that we just meet people where they are. We talk about these issues, and we find that we have a whole lot more in common than we have different. I'm going to try to close to two-in-one questions. Okay. It's cold, and we're, it's getting late. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you've obviously come out today for, you know, Senator, you know, U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, and encouraging those in attendance to support her. And also, you know, made a heck of a case for her from your standpoint. You know, I think the statement you said was, um, in the re you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, the community is under attack. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if one is a member of the LGBTQ community and, you know, an undecided voter, um, I know you made the case for those folks in there. Yeah. What would you say to that undecided voter who's not sure of who to vote for in a large field? Sure. What, what, what would you say to them? Beating Donald Trump really matters, right? The first thing that we have to do is evict the man in the White House who has so terrorized our community, who has torn at the fabric 
of what it means to be LGBTQ, who has waged an all-out assault specifically on transgender Americans. We have to start with that. But the question for LGBTQ people and the question for Americans in general is, what do you want America to look like after he's gone? What do you imagine your life will look like under the next U.S. president? And I think when you start to look at the plans, when you start to ask yourself what comes next, when you start to ask yourself what policies you want to see, and then you dive into someone like Senator Elizabeth Warren's plan around LGBTQ issues in this country, you start to understand that the future of America doesn't just have to look like status quo. It doesn't just have to look like a return to normal. It doesn't just have to look like the bare minimum. It can look like a new era, right? It can look like a new age for LGBTQ people. It can look like marginalized voices being lifted up. It can look like the eradication of HIV, the end of violence against black transgender women. It can look like young people feeling safe, identifying how they identify in school. So I think the question has to be, yes, we know we have to defeat Donald Trump. That part we know. The question is, what do you want America to look like once he's gone? And for me, the answer is quite clear that the status quo is not enough. Back to normal is not enough. And the only way forward is a bold, progressive plan like Senator Elizabeth Warren's. And uh, with this one, I guess I'll say, is there anything else I didn't ask you that you'd like my listeners, readers, and anyone listening to this conversation or talking, uh, reading this conversation to know about Senator Warren, yourself, anyone who's been in a situation that you've been in, I'll give you the floor, sir. Uh, just a reminder that 2020 is an opportunity. 2020 is an opportunity to rekindle what we felt in 2008. I will never forget the day that Barack Obama was elected. Something that people said could not happen. He was not electable, right? He could not beat the Republican nominee. No one would elect a black man president in the United States of America. And on that day, when he was elected, everyone poured out of my apartment complex into the streets, banging pots and pans, singing at the top of their lungs. We need to rekindle that hope in 2020. We can't play it safe. We can't do what feels comfortable because Donald Trump has upended everything that feels normal in this country. We need to ask ourselves, what is it that we did in 2008 that allowed us to celebrate at the end of that election? We were braver than we thought we could be. We fought harder than we thought we could. And we elected someone that other people said was impossible. And I think we have an opportunity to do that in 2020. I think we can elect the first woman president of the United States. Brandon, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for freezing with us outside. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> it's not Denver. Yes. Give you that. <laughs> no offense to Denver. Uh, no, no, Denver's wonderful, but nine degrees was a bit much for me.